0: To begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Inspired by Yarra. It's Paul Joy here and we've created this podcast to enhance, connect and inspire the Yarra Valley Grammar community and beyond. So Wherever you happen to be listening from today. I want to say thank you for tuning in. In each episode we have the opportunity to sit down with a Yarra Old Grammarian, a yog, as we unpack some of their experiences, their adventures, the challenges. And this conversation that I'm about to share with you is no exception. Sit down with Jason Ball from the class of 2006. And Jason certainly had A unique experience. Well perhaps not so unique. But at the time he felt that it was a unique experience and certainly some challenges along the way. uh, As he then had to go into an exploration of his own identity, his own sexuality, his own place in the world. And he did some travel to do that, he did some deep inner work to discover that and came out a better person as a result. gone on to make a significant impact in the greater world uh, and certainly through sporting clubs and on the political stage and now working in uh, the area of disability. He mentions in this podcast some uh, jobs that nowadays don't exist. Some organizations that nowadays don't exist. One of them being Blockbuster which is a place they used to uh, rent videos and DVDs and another one was Borders, which used to be a bookshop, a a very thriving bookstore. However, they were part of Jason's experience as well. This conversation explores that and so much more. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jason Ball from the class of 2006. And I'm going to begin by asking him, at what year level did you start your journey at Yarra Valley Grammar?
1: I started in Year 7. I grew up in a, a small town called Yarra Glen and Yarra Valley was about a 30, 40-minute trip um, on the on the bus. So uh, there was a small cohort of, of people out in Yarra Glen who would get on the bus early in the morning to get out to Yarra Valley and, uh, yeah, started for me back in... Uh, when I was in year seven, I went to primary school at Yarra Glen Primary, which was uh, kind of a, a small school. And I think I went from being a big fish in a small pond to being a small fish in a very big pond when I uh, got to Yarra.
0: They say that um, country kids are a bit, bit a bit tougher um, because, you know, potentially you live on the land and you've got to be up milking the cows before the crack of dawn and you've got to be able to mend those fences and and the like. But the notion of putting your year seven kid on a bus for his first day going to school into a brand new school, big place, all that sort of stuff. What was the bus trip like for you? How quickly did you find a mate to sit with?
1: Um, well pretty quickly because you know Yarra Glen was a tight-knit community and so those of us who were from that community who were making the journey uh, into Yarra. I was actually the only kid from my primary school who who went to Yarra. So I was a little bit alone in that sense, but there was some uh, uh, students in the years below me who ended up following me. My sister, who's younger than me, ended up following me. But for that first year, it was really just me by myself. And I managed to make a few friends with some older kids on the bus um, who kind of took me under their wing a little bit. And Uh, lucky enough to have had a family friend um, who was also going to Yarra, who didn't live anywhere near us. But I sort of knew one person who was going to be in my year level. Unfortunately, we weren't in the same tutorial. So, you know, I was very much forced to make friends. I couldn't, I couldn't lean on them. Um, But it was good to have, uh, you know, a familiar face in my year level, someone to check in with. Um, But it it was a, it was a really nerve wracking experience.
0: And and you're quite right, though. Often, Just knowing at least there is one familiar face can, can be enough to give you just enough confidence to walk through the gate the first time. Um, and I also think that having some older kids who know you, based on your bus trip or maybe knowing them as locals around the Yarra Glen area. That, that means a lot to a young kid doesn't it? In terms of having an older kid recognize you or be kind of looking out for you, that helps a lot. It did.
1: And I looked up to them a lot. Like I, you know, I just thought they were the best and I felt so lucky that, you know, I had (laughs) older kids looking out for me. And it kind of was, I guess it became something that I felt that I could do in return to pay it forward when I was a bit older. You know, if you see that kid on the bus who was sitting by themselves or didn't really have anyone to talk to, just going up and having a chat and making him feel welcome. um, That was something that I know I took on (laughs) myself when I was when I was a bit older. I could, I could pay that forward.
0: And, and do you, feel that that was, something that reflected your family culture and family values? As in, looking out for others? Or was that something that was built in you already? Or did you, kind of get that sense of, paying it forward from your Yarra experience?
1: Um, I mean, look, I mean, definitely I had some great values instilled in me by my parents. And I think I agree with what you were saying before about the country kids being a bit tougher. Um, You know, we, we live on about 20 acres. My parents have mostly horses, a few cows. Um, You know, we, I certainly, it, it built character having to get up super early to get to school and having to be really organized to, you know, be out the door by 7am um, to, to get to school. Um, but in terms of that, that feeling of, um, I guess, kindness and wanting to pay it forward. Um, I, I think that was something that grew on me during my time at Yara. I think when I first started, you know, I felt completely out of my depth and didn't really know what I was doing for a while. Um, but a- as I got a bit older, uh, I sort of, um, I, I just came to the realisation that it was so much... Um, it was so much more rewarding to be kind to other people than it was to, um, like belittle or or put them down, and and I could see you know both happening around me, and and I thought and I really I guess I looked up to those people who would reach out and and be kind, um, to other people and lend a hand, and and I remember there became a point in my schooling experience where I felt like I had to choose one path or the other. It was either, you know, get involved with these kids who kind of, uh, you know, um, making fun of other people or, or, or get involved with those kids who just don't do that. And I remember there was one, uh, experience I had, when I was in year seven, and uh, it was uh, time for swimming, and um, we were all sort of in our change room in the change room after we had swum, and we were sort of getting ready, and there was um, one one of the students, one of the kids um, who kind of you know hadn't made a lot of friends yet, realised that he had like left his um, towel in his locker um, back in the, you know, the, the homeroom and, um, and everyone was sort of laughing at him, going like, oh, you know, you're going to have to go out and get, um, you know, you go out in your, in your, in your togs, um, run through the thing. And, and I just thought like, no way. And I just went up to him. I was like, what's your key? What's your locker combo? What's your number? I'll go get your towel. And I just, you know, went and did it. And I, and it was a conscious decision that I had to make about the kind of person that I wanted to be. And it, and it came, from you know role models of older kids and and I think it really was it got instilled to me because it was how I was treated and I it meant so much to me that they had done that and so I think that was the the motivation for me to decide that that was the kind of person I wanted to be when I was at school.
0: That's a beautiful and a powerful memory and an example and and I'm I I feel I feel almost proud that You saw that in older students, that's how they, some of them, conducted themselves. And then you've seen and made a conscious choice that I want to be more like that. And then you've done that. I, I think that's great. And the more, obviously the more people who take or adopt that approach, the better for everybody. Not only in a school environment but, but well you know, wider than that as well of course. Um, so you've made a conscious choice in that moment. And more generally, who, who were the kids you knocked about with? You know, where did you hang? Were you, were you in the art room? Were you a a musician? Were you, I I don't know, maybe out on the sports field? Like where would we find you if you were hanging out at Yarra?
1: Look, I I was one of those kids who kind of did everything, but, um, and I I was kind of a, oh, what's, what's the saying? Like, uh, a jack of all trades, but a master of none. Um, so, I was involved in the musical, I was part of the drama crowd, I took up learning the viola, and so I was in the school orchestra. Um, you know, I played cricket, I played football, I did volleyball and cross country running and did athletics for, for Yarra. Um, there, there was so much sort of extracurricular stuff going on, and I just got involved in everything. Um, and so, you know, I made, I made a bunch of, of friends in, in all sorts of different areas. Um, I wouldn't say I was artistic. I wish I was, um, but I, I couldn't draw to save myself. Um, but I, um, I actually, I remember, uh, you know, the crowd that I hung out with in my first few years at Yarra um, really shifted um so you know I had a a a bunch of friends who were guys and you know were just common things that we were interested in were you know movies and sport and stuff like that um but I I had a real shift um you know when I was about in year nine um and I uh, you know it it, so it was something that I, I didn't talk about um, until a lot later in my schooling life and indeed, you know, after school for a lot of it. But the fact that I realized by about year eight that I was gay um, made me feel really uncomfortable having friends who were guys um, they used homophobic language a lot um and sort of you know being gay was the butt of a joke the word gay was used to mean bad or stupid um they would use words like faggot and pufter and and for a while i sort of put up with it um, but then i i started to become really frightened that they would find out that i was gay um and i was really um i, I guess it made me feel less comfortable hanging out with them. And I ended up hanging out more with the girls, um, because, you know, they didn't talk like that. And I knew that I'd be okay if any of them found out, although I didn't tell them, you know, right away. Um, and you know, I was a, I was a, I was a sensitive kid, you know, so I I could actually, I felt like I could relate to some of the girls a bit better than some of the guys, um, um, you know, sort of the the pressure to be a bit macho and stuff like that. I mean, um, that that wasn't really me um, on deep down. And so, you know, by by the time I, I am in year eleven and twelve, um, you know, my it's sort of Jason and all the girls um, hanging out at lunchtime together. And I think a lot of the guys sort of thought that I was. Just trying to get with them. Some of them were a bit jealous. Um, you know, that I had so many girls who were friends. Um, but you know, that that's that's um something that I I didn't really even reflect on a lot until after the fact. The fact that I really did drift from hanging out with hanging out with the guys in year seven and eight to having mostly friends who were girls. And and those guys who I were friends with were more the guys in, you know, in the drama crowd and the music crowd. And Um, By the time I was in year 11, 12, I was actually playing first football and I was good at football. Um, And, you know, I think the guys respected me for that, Um, but we weren't super close and we didn't have that kind of camaraderie that, you know, I didn't have with them the camaraderie that they really had with each other.
0: You're quite right. And and it might be being stereotypical, but there is a sense that, Girls can be or are generally more sensitive and more welcoming and inviting and, gentle. Compared to some of the boys and as you say there's often in a, in a school. Any school I think, often sport is the way. Particularly for guys to, to find your place and, it sounds like you had the regard and the respect because of your sporting ability. But you, that wasn't enough. You also wanted the, the conversation, the care, the concern. The connection, yeah. The connection and some, and and again this is no judgment. But some guys find that. They, they do the macho, rough and tough and they feel the connection. Um, but others have, you know, I guess we've all got to find our own path eventually. And many people who I speak to in, in this podcast. They also have had a shift in their friendship group. Not necessarily as dramatic as yours from generally hanging with the guys to going and hanging with the girls. But certainly shifting friendships is very normal and and very, very common for for most students really through, throughout their journey. Was there anyone in particular and whether you name names, but was there a core group or individual who you did kind of connect with? And maybe I don't know. Do you still have connection with any of your old Yarra friends today?
1: Yeah, I do. Um, I so I mean, apart from the fact that I, I my, my friendship group shifted from you know year seven and eight through to my older years, I also had another kind of dramatic shift because I went on student exchange um, when I was uh, just about to start year twelve, and so I in, in also you know feeling in a. Among- within myself a little bit lost in terms of, you know, my own place in the world and my sexuality and whether I fit it in. Um, Going on exchange was a really good circuit breaker. Um, It really kind of busted things open. It made me feel like I had a bit of a fresh start. Um, And I, I actually went and did school for six months in the United States before I finished my year 12. And so I actually... Um, did that in the first half of the year. And then I spent the second half of my year working and volunteering. Um, I volunteered for conservation volunteers and planted trees. And, um, and then I came back and did my year 12 with the year below me. Um, and I... Uh, was actually younger for my year, so I was about the same age as the as the kids below me. Um, although I did get my P's um, <laughs> earlier than most of them, which was pretty cool. Um, I'm glad that I did it that way around, and I could drive to school in year twelve as opposed to having to wait until first year uni to drive to be able to drive a car. But um, that that sense of freedom was pretty awesome. Um, but. Uh, I knew that I was going to be going on exchange and I made a conscious effort to make friends with a few of the kids in the year below me. And luckily, because of things like orchestra and because of things like football, first football, having people in multiple years and the school production being across year levels, I had lots of friends from all sorts of different years. And so although I was I was sad to say goodbye to some of my friends in my year and, and not do year 12 with them and um, and. Um, it it I really did uh, my my more lasting connections outside of my time at Yarra came from the students who I did my Year Twelve with. Um, you know that was a bonding experience that you could never replace. And so, um, I do have a number of um a number of friends who who I did Year Twelve with who who I'm still in touch with. Who I think in my last time I was overseas was Bali around this time last year. And indeed, um, with with one of my friends from Yarra.
0: Right yeah, I I love hearing stories like that, that friendships that were formed and created and nurtured while you're a a 17, 18 year old, continue on you know 10 years, 15 years down the track. I, I think that's a a beautiful thing and not all young people have that. When they think back to their experience of school, many people are not in contact with uh, with their friends from, from that long ago. So I, I think it's, it's terrific to hear those sorts of stories. Um, you haven't, and it's partly by choice, but partly by circumstance and partly by, um, your unique experience, you haven't necessarily had an easy experience through school. Like, choosing to go on exchange, that, that's a big decision. I, I, I wish I had the courage to make a decision like that, but to leave your, network, to leave your family, to leave your friends for what sounds like a 12 month period and to travel overseas. That's massive. What did you learn when you were overseas when you're what about 17 years old? Are you traveling on your own?
1: Yeah, I, I went over on my own and, um, I, I was looking at I mean I could have I could have put myself out there even more like one of the options to go overseas was Japan um which would have been a much bigger culture shock than the USA but um unfortunately the school years just didn't quite line up by the time I was putting in my application and so um the USA it was but I you know I didn't just go to you know every, any old place in the United States I was actually in Kansas which is like um you know very rural it's sort of like the the um the buckle of the bible belt there in 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 the US and that was a real culture shock um you know i was thrown into um a, a place with very different attitudes and beliefs um from what i'd experienced at yara and um you know in my family and my uh, you know, a, approach to that was one of you know. I'm just going to make the most of this experience, and I'm going to learn as much as I can, and I'm not. I'm going to have an open mind as as much as possible, and so you know, I, I remember, you know, because it was a a very religious part of the world where I was, um, one of the ways to connect with other young people was, you know, through church and youth group. And, you know, I, um, I remember being asked, uh, by, you know, one of the, uh, one of the friends who came and picked me up to take me to my first youth group, um, whether I was a, a Christian and, um, I, I reflected and I was like, well, I mean, I go to an Anglican school, so I guess I'm Anglican. And, and, um, and they were like, you know, well, have you accepted Jesus Christ into your heart as your personal Lord and Savior? And I was like, well, I'm not not too sure about that. But, um, but it's kind of like, you know, the way that I had approached religion was kind of just like, you know, you were born into it. It's whatever your parents are. It's whatever your school is. It's same as your football team. You know, um, but here I actually was being thrown really big questions about. You know, does God exist? Um, is Jesus the um, son of God? Um, is the Bible the you know like true? And um, I I actually really reveled in asking those big questions because in Australia, which is a relatively secular sort of society in terms of attitudes, um, I'd never really been confronted with, you know, strong belief or unbelief in my time. Everyone's sort of just very tolerant and accepting and live and let live. Um, and, you know, I didn't really feel like religion had been rammed down my throat at Yara or anything like that. And I really, I guess, I liked that approach. Um, and so, it was um it was a it was a learning experience for me because I I was all of a sudden having to teach myself how to think critically and to understand why that was important. Um, you know that there was a there's such a a wide ranging um, set of uh, Christians in terms of what they believe in the world and. And I was in Kansas at the same time that, you know, they voted overwhelmingly to ban gay marriage. Um, I was there when they introduced uh, intelligent design and creationism into the high school biology curriculum. So all of these things, all of a sudden, you know, I, I just thought evolution was a scientific fact. That's what I got taught when I was at school. And I'm getting people telling me that the world is only 6,000 years old. You know, this was it was it was a real, um, shock, but I actually loved it. and um, I loved exploring those questions and I came back to Australia with a real interest in, in these big questions, a real passion for, like, I didn't care what the answer was. I cared about what was, what was true. Um, can I felt like it mattered what, what true, like, with, did evolution happen or not? You know, um, did, um, is the Bible the word of God or not? And I, um, I, I became much more of a kind of free thinker, I suppose, after that experience, because I came, I rubbed shoulders with people who were very um, single minded in terms and very dogmatic about what they believed. And, and I came back to Australia with a much more open mind, a much more questioning mind, a much more, I guess, agnostic position about um, the universe. And, um, but, but sort of really proud of that. And, um, and, and probably more so actually wanting to engage with people who I disagreed with in a respectful way. Um, and I, I, I cared more about, you know, people who held passionate beliefs than those who were apathetic about it. Um, I, i wanted to engage with people who believe strongly, whatever their belief was, and really hash that out. I really enjoyed that.
0: And And it seems to me, it wasn't to be antagonistic towards what they thought and, and trying to counter it. It was sounding like a real exploration of what is the motivation behind what they believe and do they actually know what that journey has been for them or as you say, which is often the case like your footy team, it often is just something that just becomes, because that's what you grew up with and that was the norm and that was almost expected. So I, I love that something in you, given the circumstance that you, you put yourself into in, in this very uh, strong belief, circumstance situation over in, in Kansas, has prompted you not just to adopt everybody else's idea while you're there and just, because that would have been easy but actually to to question it for yourself is that's quite a journey and and I dare say still on a journey oh absolutely
1: I mean I think that that's the that's the whole kind of foundation to critical thinking and and science is to be able to change your mind if there's new evidence um, and that's the, that's the approach that I thought was was the most important one to take for and, and, and you know I, I guess it it comes down to the fact that I think that those who have really dogmatic beliefs and are unshakable in their beliefs on either side whether they're atheists or whether they're believers um you know I think that does does damage to the the um you know the growth of and of the of, of society and um and you know, I wish more people could have an open mind, a, a more tolerant position to others and, and other people's beliefs, and and be more questioning of their own beliefs.
0: Mm. And and you mentioned, you know, you went on and um, on a journey to try and discover what is true. A- and even then, I would say, well, given the experience and the information and what you have in that moment, you might have decided what is true, but. But even then, that can change too, as more information comes in, as you learn more, as you explore more, actually, and, and that's a scary position for a lot of people to be able to recognise, well, at the moment, this is true for me, but actually, if I'm genuinely still a person of growth and learning and lifelong, then, then maybe that can shift, that can change. And I think if we're open to that, then we're more inclined to be... Um willing to accept difference and variety, and you know, and being willing to to journey with other people in in their experience of their truth.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the you know the the realization for me while I was over there in terms of, I guess, starting to form my worldview and actually having a worldview and being conscious of what that worldview was and and the ramifications of it was that, you know, it, it mattered for things like my sexuality, you know, what does the Bible have to say about it one way or the other? And is that true or not? Um, and, and you know, is there an afterlife <laughs> and, and questions like that? And, and, you know, forming the more, I guess, naturalistic worldview that I did, I came to, it, it actually helped me in understanding that if this life is the only life that we get, this is the only chance we get for life, then it's actually really important that we make the most of it and that we spend it doing um, the things that will make you happy um, rather than trying to please other people. And so uh, that uh, really landed hard for me in that I decided you know, I, I had before I went on exchange thought that I would, you know, never come out to anyone and that I would keep my sexuality a secret because I thought people would judge me and I thought I would, you know, get married and have a family and kids and a wife and do all the things that everyone expects of me and assumes of me and no one should ever know that uh, who I really am. And, and you know, that was a really tough journey. Um and it was liberating to come to the position that actually it's going to be more important that I live my life, you know, being myself. Um, but, you know, the, the positive thing in my story was that at the end of the day, people didn't think less of me um, when I came out. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was a, a real lesson that I learned that I think kind of for the next phase of my life, I've I've spent trying to to share that for other people in, who, who might be in the same position as me.
0: And do you think, do you think we've, as a culture here in Australia at least, have we, have we moved, like you're talking about 15, 16 years ago as a young boy, um, young man really, who's exploring your sexuality, exploring what it means. And and I'm, I, I don't know whether shocked is the, I think it might be that you felt so strong that there was a certain way that your life was expected to be. That is you would, you would get married to a woman, you would have a family and you would live happily ever after, whatever that is. Even though you knew that that, that, that wasn't you. Have, have we, have we grown as a community, as a society, as a culture? That where that young people today wouldn't feel that way or because that, that concerns me that people would feel that strength of opinion of others that apparently culture is writing your life story for you.
1: Mm-hmm. I think I mean, let me put it this way. It, it, I guess it's less the, you know just opinion and assumption of other people, And more the way in which homosexuality specifically is talked about, um, you know, and certainly was when I was growing up, um, you know, it really was the go to playground slur um, that gay meant bad or stupid and dumb Um, words like faggot and pofter and homo were were very derogatory and and used often, um, you know, the gay people didn't have equal rights. Um, and, and so you felt like people would think that of you if you, if they found out that you were gay, I didn't have any role models of young people who were open about their sexuality and were happy and living a normal life. Um, the only gay people I knew about was like Molly Meldrum or something like that. And, um, and, and that was it. And um I, um, I, I knew that my life probably wouldn't be happy ever after for me, but I thought it was what I needed to do in order to maintain my friendships and my family connections. Um, you know, wanting the the approval of your parents is just such a big thing when you're growing up. And, um, even though you might not have anything to go on to suggest that they might, um, you know, reject you, um, that fear of rejection is still there um, and it can be paralyzing. And I, you know, made those early decisions when I came to this terrifying realization that I was different in this way, um, that I would never act on these feelings, you know, because I just thought the consequences of my friends discarding me, my family rejecting me, just felt were overwhelming. And, um, and you know, it, it got to a point, you know, around the age of 15, um, where I even, you know, contemplated taking my own life um in, in moments. Um I I thought that, you know, that could be easier than dealing with the shame or the embarrassment that would come from people finding out about who I really was. And and I'm I'm lucky, you know, that that I had in the end, you know, when the when I made that decision to tell someone. Um, that they reacted positively. And and that was the start of my journey to self-acceptance. And, and as I said before, coming to that realization that if I only live once, I may as well do what makes me happy and be the person that I am and not worry so much about what other people are going to think about me. But I still, even after making that realization, you still make conscious decisions about who you're going to tell and who you're not going to tell because you don't know how people are going to react. And at Yara, um, you know, being a religious school that comes with certain assumptions about what people may or may not think about um, homosexuality um and so, you know, I didn't feel comfortable telling any teachers or counselors or support staff um, or anyone at the school because I, I didn't know if it was allowed, you know, and I didn't know of any gay students. Um, um, it was never talked about. And so while I felt comfortable coming out to a few friends, that was the extent of it. And I didn't want it to get out widely. Um, it wasn't until, you know, after school that I, that I found, you know, it, it easier to tell people and... Um, it also wasn't until after, after high school that I actually, you know, it took me a while to be able to have kind of normal male friends, um, because I'd avoided the guys and the the groups of guys so much when I was in high school, um, that it, it took me a long time to learn that, you know, not every guy was sort of that macho sort of guy on the inside and that some of them were actually very down to earth and very lovely, um, to have, you know, friendships with straight men, um, was, um. Was something that came really late to me. Um, and, um, yeah, it was, a, it was, a, you know, a, a real defining part in my life. It wasn't easy. Um, but I think the other thing is that you build up a real resilience, um, um, through by going through that. And, you know, I, I think part of the, the strength I have as an adult came from, you know, for better or for worse. Um, some of the stuff I had to deal with when I was younger.
0: And, in the midst of that you, you touched on something that, is a common human need. And your fear of rejection, was what seemed to um, cause you to make certain decisions for a certain period of your life. And, and what that points to is, is that our need for acceptance and, you know, we all want to be wanted. We all need to be needed. We love to be loved. And as a young person growing up in school, we want that acceptance of our peers and, and that is such a crucial time of formation in in terms of who we are and our character. And it seems to me that there was a, a level of maturity that you had That you were tapped into, once it was opened up to you, by you know, perhaps through your travels. And it sounds like, you know, you'd been exploring it a little bit before that. Of, of who am I and what am I and, and, and what am I prepared to put up with and what am I going to make a stand on. Once you left school, it sounds like you had a different level of confidence. Um, probably maturity, probably self-awareness. What happened next? You know, in terms of your life story, did you travel again? Did you go straight to work? Did you go to university? Where did you go after leaving Yarra in 2006?
1: So after Yarra, I got accepted into uh, Melbourne University to do a Bachelor of Arts. And I, um, you know, I, I felt like I'd done my travel by going on exchange. So I didn't need to do another gap year or anything like that. Um, I was ready to get stuck into university. And I didn't know what I wanted to do um, with my career. I had no clue whatsoever. I remember being told, you know, I remember sitting there at the computer having to select what uni courses I would apply for, just having no idea what I was doing. Um, and, and I kind of, my, my approach was, look, I'm just going to apply for things that I'm interested in and that I think I'll enjoy learning and then hopefully that'll just if you enjoy what you're learning about, then, you know, hopefully you'll do well in it. And I'm sure careers will hopefully inevitably come. That was just my hope. I just jumped in the deep end and just wish for the best. So I, I, I um, did a Bachelor of Arts and luckily arts is a kind of degree that you can kind of start really wide and then narrow in as you find what you're, you're into. So, and, and at Melbourne university, you're allowed to do a few courses in other degrees and stuff like that in, in first year. So, you know, I did a little bit of you know, um, marketing and communications. I did a little bit of global politics. I did a bit of cinema studies and, um, you know, I I was interested in politics. I was interested in in movies and film. And so um, my double major ended up being political science and cinema. Um, And I wasn't sure that which one would be the hobby and which one would be the career. Um, You know, I liked both. And it, I I I spent some time interning at a film festival when I was at university, um, as well as you know joining a political party and getting involved in that and. And I remember when I was interning at this film festival, I spent pretty much the whole week just photocopying grant applications. And it became apparent to me that like the Australian film industry was so small and it doesn't make any money and they just rely on government funding for better or worse. Um, But it just kind of turned me off a little bit in thinking that there'd be a lot of career opportunities here. And I wasn't a filmmaker, I was more of a film watcher, you know, and so... Um, you know, I loved film festivals and that kind of thing and I was like, you know what? I think that's going to be a passion of mine, but I'm going to I'm going to focus on 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 politics and um international relations and um while I was at university, I was doing a, a few different casual jobs. I was working at Blockbuster Video, I was working at Borders, the bookshop. Um I ended up getting a job just working in customer service for Seek, the job website. Um and when I finished uni, I graduated, and I had had no idea what to do after that. Um, and uh, but where I was working, um, I kind of got my foot in the door at a big company at um, at Seek, which was kind of like you know it's a Melbourne-based um, technology company, um, pretty innovative, very profitable. And um, when I when I got my foot in the door there, just doing a customer service role, I found that um, if you like. There's so many people out there in the job world who are who are bored, who aren't really trying. Um, and if you get your foot in the door and if you've got like a good work ethic, um, it doesn't matter how smart you are. You know, if you want to learn, if you want to grow, if you want to help, um, opportunities just open up for you. Um, you know, so many organizations are just looking for people like that. And that was what happened for me at Scope. Uh, sorry, at, at Seek. Um, I... I found myself, you know, helping out on different projects and they gave me great development pathways. I got offered a job in marketing and was helping, you know, do social media marketing, even though I had no qualifications in that. And, um, you know, I I was all of a sudden I was being offered the opportunity to do further studies in marketing and they were going to pay for it. And, um, you know, it was was just such a good opportunity and, you know, felt pretty, pretty good. but then my world also got, you know, tipped upside down because I, I just was totally all, all the time needing stimulation. I was getting involved in so much stuff outside of work as well. And and I found, I found myself, um, you know, the, the face of, a, of a, a campaign calling on the AFL to do more to tackle homophobia and using my position as someone who's played football and who is gay to kind of make a bit of a splash and push for change. And um, that was a decision that you know, I was working full time and just sort of doing that on the side, but then my whole world got turned upside down because the campaign really took off in a way that I didn't expect. And I kind of became a go-to sort of spokesperson for issues around LGBTI inclusion in sport. And, um, you know, I was being invited to speak to AFL players and help with education campaigns and, um, be on TV and do all sorts of stuff like that. And, um, uh, that was when I became an ambassador for Beyond Blue, the National Mental Health Initiative. And then um, from there, I actually left SEEK and said no to a career in marketing. And I took up a role doing government relations um, at a mental health research center. Um, and so I was applying sort of the politics that I had studied at university to something that was now a newfound passion, which was I- inclusion and in mental health. Um and so yeah, spent spent a few years working, um working there and at the same time just kind of building this movement for LGBTIQ inclusion in sport, which included, you know, my own football club doing a rainbow football game, which we called the Pride Cup, where they created rainbow jumpers and rainbow 50 meter lines to sort of, you know, I guess it was it was the club that my club who wanted to do it, I guess in learning from my story, wanting to tell other players out there in our league that they didn't have to choose between being who they are and playing the game that they loved and recognising that homophobic language in sport was really prevalent and really problematic. And so, you know, they took a stand for that. That grew. Other other sporting leagues and other clubs took it on. And then, um, you know, I... <laughs> I ended up running for parliament. I ended up founding a not-for-profit organisation for um to help grow LGBTIQ inclusion in sport and um and then I ran for parliament again and then I've um, I've landed now working um uh, for Scope, which is the um uh, disability service provider, and I'm helping them prepare for the Disability Royal Commission at the moment, and so. Um, I've, I've done so many different things now that I've, I I don't think I've said it all before in one sentence, but there it is. Um, that's my, that's been my journey and it, yeah, it's gone all over the place, but it's linked in many different ways. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm kind of at this point now. my life where I'm wondering what next and and it, it might be connected to some of those things I did in the past 10 years. But I think actually it might probably be completely different.
0: It seems to me that you're the type of person who is looking for adventure and and certainly you find it and that's perhaps part of your personality is that you're willing to explore. There's certainly courage in your character For example, just by way of reflection myself, many many years ago I was a, an umpire, a football umpire. And I was in the league that Yarra Glen used to play in. And so I've umpired out there many times and I know the culture of, it's a generalization. But footy clubs in general uh, are, are not normally open to new ideas or such vastly different perspectives that you were trying to introduce and not only did your club accept it and and get behind it but then you spoke to at a wider level at, at a, a bigger audience and that obviously continued to grow and, and and build some momentum and and clearly it was a message that needed to be heard and somebody had to have the courage to stand up and And say it. And, and (laughs) as you mentioned, you were thrust into the limelight. You didn't necessarily go looking for that, but you had to very quickly adapt to all of a sudden, people are watching what I do and what I say and, and where I am and, and who I'm kind of conversing with. And, and it's tremendous that you found the, the courage and the words and the, perspective to bring to all those various audiences that you had the opportunity to speak to it's uh, I think it's brilliant
1: yeah I mean when I reflect on it I kind of think you know I'm like how why am I here where I am And why have I done these things like is it just by accident or is there a reason that you know that this has been my journey and I kind of think about it Um, around you know I think everyone has opportunities that come to them and the question is what you do with them and I guess my approach was always just to grab opportunities and make the most of them and so I had an opportunity and I was put in a fortunate position that I had a personal story that was unique in that I could talk about homophobia in sport from a very personal level that had not been done before and so and, and I saw in doing it, the power that came from a personal narrative, you know, that campaign wouldn't have taken off if there wasn't, um, you know, a gay footballer to lead it. Um, if it was just theoretical, if it was just the LGBTIQ community trying to impose its agenda on the AFL, they just would have said no. But because I was part of that community, I was a footballer myself. I could talk the language of football. You know, Um, my teammates and my 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 dad and stuff were role models for other straight footballers on how they should respond to people who are gay. And, um, you know, it was a it was an opportunity that landed in my lap, but I said yes, instead of no. And, and that was a conscious decision. And I think that has kind of, you know, shaped a lot of of the decisions I've made in my life. Um, and, and, and it is the reason why, you know, I've, I've found myself doing things like being, you know, the spokesperson for, for these issues or, um, founding an organization. And, but, you know, I, I guess along the way I had, there were so many skills, Um, that I was able to apply that, you know, maybe they came naturally, maybe I learned them, but, you know, I I realized when I was doing this work that it, it also, um, that it couldn't, it wasn't sustainable for it to just be about me and I couldn't do all of the work myself, and so I went looking for other people who could also talk about these issues and tried to train them up and get them involved and get them employed to go out and do the education work because I couldn't go and talk to every football club in the country. You know, we needed to uh, get some funding, hire some people, create a framework that, um, you know, and a, and a curriculum that people can go and deliver. And, um, you know, that that was sort of, a you know, a learning moment as well um, that, You know, you can, you can affect change only so much if it's just you, but you need to be able to, you need to be able to make it scalable to really affect change in a big way.
0: There's so many things about your story and your approach that I have great respect for. It would be, it would be fair to say that, that my experience and, and my beliefs don't all line up with yours, but I admire what you've done. And I love that you see an opportunity and you say yes. One thing that we definitely agree on is, what well, I think we do, is that we've got one crack at this. And we want to be people who make the most of all of those opportunities. And that's what I'm hearing through the thread of your story, the challenges that you've overcome The, the learning that you've done along the way, you've always said, yes, when a challenge has been put down. Not necessarily straight away, but you have got there, you've found that inner strength to go and, not necessarily know all the answers, but go and explore, go and find out and go, all right, let's see where this journey leads us. And I have enormous admiration for that. I, I wonder, and you probably don't have an answer to this and so therefore, it's a silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If everything goes well for you, what are you doing in 10 years time?
1: <laughs> Look, if, if you asked me that question a year ago, it would have been a really different answer. Um, I, you know, one year ago I was running for parliament. And so the, the goal was to win and then become an MP and then hopefully be doing that. Um, but, you know, things don't always go the way you planned and, and then you got to go back to the drawing board and, and I've been, you know, spending the last year reflecting on what it is I want to do next. And, you know, there's only so many times when you're 30 years old that you can spend all your savings and run for parliament and you don't get paid if you don't win. So you've got to go do something else. And so I've gone and done something else now. And, and I'm really enjoying that. And, and I'm actually enjoying a bit of a slower pace of existence and not being so much in the limelight that I was. Um, I've been able to do other things like learn how to cook for the first time in my life. Um, and, um, you know, I suppose these, these, these things come in handy when we're in a pandemic as we are right now But um, and, and we get more time than we had before to flesh out those skills. Um, but, you know, I absolutely have no idea where I'll be in 10 years. I probably couldn't tell you where I'll be in five or even two. Um, I'm, I'm kind of taking my time now to think about what I want to do next. I'm not really jumping into anything. Um, and I probably was more of a jumper, um, in my twenties and, and took every opportunity, but I've learned a lot in that experience. And I've given a lot of myself as well. I've sacrificed a lot. And I think I had the the willingness and the, and the desire to do that in my twenties, but now I'm, now I'm in my thirties and early thirties. I've, I've got a little bit more of a perspective on things. Um, I've got, I've got a sense of self-preservation as well. I don't want to actually burn out as I probably would have if I kept that pace going that I was throughout my twenties. Um, you know, it's time to pay back the bank of mum and dad, get some savings, buy some shares, save up for a house, you know, do these adult things that I'd never thought I would do. Um, but you know, by the time you get older, you realize they're probably important, um, for, for a bunch of reasons. And so, um, I'm like right now, uh, I am, I'm so happy in, in where I'm at. I wouldn't change anything in terms of the decisions I've made and the journey that I've been on. Um, you know, I think I always made the best decision I could with the information I had at the time. And I, I want to live with no regrets. And I feel like I'm doing that, but you know, right now I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a new, new sector, the disability sector. I'm, I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm, um I, I feel like I'll probably always be doing something that is making a contribution to society. Um I don't really feel great about working for a big corporation and lining the pockets of shareholders. I'd rather be doing something that makes me, you know, feel like I'm making some kind of impact. And even if it's only small, um, you know, even if it's only in my small circle or if um if it's big, um, you know, I, I that's probably gonna be the the the, the the continuity, um, I guess in, in the next 10 years of my life.
0: Yeah, I, I I appreciate that. I, I totally understand what you're saying because your learning, your experience, your character says that I want to be involved in things that have purpose. Mm. And, and you're quite right. You want a, a greater purpose than just, uh, lining the pockets of shareholders, as you suggest. There's, there's more to it. And it seems to me that All the way along, the different industries, the different causes, the different um, missions that you've adopted and got behind, have all been for the greater good. And, and that's, that's outstanding. I, I just, you know, if I had a hat on, I would dip my lid. (laughs) Uh, I love what you do. Tell me um, I I wanna offer a phrase to you, a, a term that may or may not resonate, and may or may not mean anything to you. And it is lavavi Oculus. Do you, does that mean anything to you? Do you know what that is? What does it mean? And nowadays, what does it mean?
1: Um, it's, it's not the school, like the Latin phrase.
0: Is it, is it we lift up our eyes? Well done. Yes, that's spot there on. There you go. Well done. So what, go. what did it mean as a 15, 16 year old? What does it mean as a, a 30 something?
1: Look, I didn't think it meant anything to me when I was at school. Like I just I was like, it's Latin, whatever we lift up our minds. Um, when I think back, well, I did not think deeply about it. But um you know, I think I think uh reflecting on the kind of person that I am and reflecting on the journey that I've been on, I, I think it fits, you know, I think it's um It's about looking up. It's about saying yes. Um, it's about having, it's about making the most of, of opportunities. Um, and so, you know, I think it's pretty fitting that that was the motto of the school that I came from.
0: And maybe somewhere in it, even though you didn't fully appreciate it or understand it or think about it, maybe, maybe there's something in a phrase like that, that resonates even when you don't know it. And, and so then it actually becomes part of who you are and, and it's almost a, a, mantra that, um, you know, that you unwittingly or unknowingly have adopted and you've lived your life saying, yes, let's, let's look out, let's look up, let's see what's about and, and, and where there's an opportunity, let's go and find out a little bit more, let's go and discover. Um, yep.
1: Very clever subliminal messaging there by Yara, getting me to, um, adopt a, you know, a curious f- view of the world and, <laughs> um, Uh, yeah what goes around comes around. (laughs) Uh, uh,
0: It, it makes me think a little bit and you don't have to comment on this but it makes me think a little bit of some of the old hymns that you probably were part of and sang and you know here at school. I mean obviously my role here is as school chaplain and, and I dare say um, school is different now than what it was 15 years ago. I hope it is um, although there are some great traditions and, and legacies of the past that, that are good for us and foundational principles and ideas and, 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 and methodologies. I think that are, that are worth hanging on to but um, certainly Le Barbie Oculus, I, I, stand by that. I still think it's a, a very, very sound idea for us to build the, the life of a young person. To have that as a, as a, as concept even if they're not thinking about it at the time. If it becomes something further down the track. Then uh, I think it's done it's job. I agree. (laughs) We're speaking with Jason Ball from the class of 2006. Jason I want to, and you've been really generous with your time. Um, I want to throw a whole lot of short and sharp questions at you. And some of them will take you back to your days. When you pulled on the uh, maybe the, the Yarra footy shorts. And other times it'll be when you did your tie up and so forth. But I wonder if you can recall for us, what house were you in when you were at Yarra? I was in Arnit. Arnett. Now, were Arnett yep. any good back in your day? They
1: weren't when I started in Year 7. They had, like, never won a sports carnival for, for many, many years. And and I think in my interview when I started at um, Yarra, I think I bragged a bit saying that I was good at sport. And then when I found that I was in Arnit. I was like, ah, they're trying to, you know, foot foot the better. They're trying to. It's like, you know, they get the wooden spoon one year, they get the best draft picks the next. You know, they're trying to balance things up a bit. But um, I was by no means the best sports kid in my year. From by a long, I came third in everything. There was always someone better than me. Um, but by the time I was uh, in year twelve, um, we were winning. We'd won. We won when I was in year eleven. We won when I was in year twelve. Um, you know, the athletics. I'm I'm pretty sure from memory it was around that time. And so um, yeah, I felt like. You know, I I was um I was never the, the sports captain or anything like that, but um I loved the sports days. um got got really into it. It was very competitive.
0: Yes, and and by the sounds of it, even though you didn't win, you certainly played your part.
1: I did, I did, I did what I could.
0: If you had a choice, house swimming or house athletics? Um,
1: oh, I uh, athletics for me. I um yeah uh, i I loved i i i did athletics for Yarra for the school competing against other school my race was the 800 meters and the and the 1500 meters
0: right right okay and and that requires a certain level of stamina obviously and and fitness and and almost character i think you know there's a sprinter and there's a, a long jumper a high jumper there's a a that mid distance runner as well and uh, it certainly has certain characteristics that about make what makes a good mid-distance runner too. Tell me a little bit about your music and your on-stage performances. Was there one performance in particular that, you know, you thought that was a great performance, or I was really proud to be involved in that particular musical, or was there a place you got to play that you thought, wow, this is pretty special?
1: Um, look, there was, there was two. There was one when I was in year seven, and there was one when I was in year 12. So when I, when I was in year seven, um, I somehow managed to land the lead in a like a middle school production. Um, and it was a a, a series of short um, a series of short plays from around the twist. Um, so and we created our own this was before we had the, The calf, um, or the um, what are they? Is it called the calf still, or the cafe, or the canteen, or yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, a calf. Yep,
1: the calf. Yeah, I remember. I remember they called it the calf, and I was like, why is it the calf? What a weird name. Um, but before that was the calf. That was a multi-purpose sort of sporting arena, and um, for a couple of months we turned it into this kind of theatre stadium, and um, and um, yeah, I managed to along with year eights and nines, um, uh get the lead role in, in this play around, round the twist, which was really fun. And then, um, in year 12, we did the music man. And, um, a lot of people might not know the music man, but if you've ever watched the Simpsons, um, the episode where the monorail comes to town is actually a takeoff of, um, of the music man. And so that was how I came to know it anyway. And, um, I played the bad guy, Charlie Cowell, um, who luckily was all acting, no singing and no dancing, so that suited me perfectly. And um, yeah, I I felt like I stole the show in that one.
0: <laughs> That's great. And and to be fair, there are people who have spoken here about the time in that they were on the school musical and they were a tree, and they also thought that they did a really good job at playing the role <laughs> they had. No doubt. <laughs> Tell us, uh, what was your first car?
1: Uh, my first car was... Oh, uh, this is embarrassing. So I, as, a, as someone who's run for the Greens, the fact that my first car was an 86 Nissan Pulsar that still took leaded petrol um, and I had to add lead to the fuel tank every time I filled it up. But I was in love with that car. Like the first car, it's one that you always remember and just that I had something that was mine and that freedom to just drive wherever you wanted to was exhilarating and um there was a lot of trips from Yarra Glen to the um to the car park down there at the sports complex um where I could where the u 12s were allowed to park and um yeah Nissan Pulsar
0: did you ever try and uh, sneak into the staff car park no I
1: wouldn't dare good wouldn't on dare. you that is I the right my, answer my car wouldn't have passed for a staff car there was no chance <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh that's very good what would uh, what be a regular feature in your lunchbox?
1: Um, a cabrié cream egg um, was one thing that I my mum had no like health sense when she packed my lunch whatever and I just got whatever I wanted, which was a lot of junk food. And um, I would often you know I'd often get some uh, I would it would be a cabrié cream egg in the lunchbox, but at the cafe I would always get a ham and cheese croissant.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah. We're speaking with uh, Jason Ball from the class of 2006 and we're in the quick fire round. We're just throwing short, sharp questions at him. And and Jason, I wonder if there is a, uh, as a a film lover, in terms of particularly observer and watcher, is there a film that you think is highly recommended, whether it be for young people or for older people, something that you think is a must-watch?
1: A must-watch film? Um, Look, I'm a massive film buff. I think that... uh, my number one film recommendation. Look, I'm gonna go for something uh lighthearted that did come out when I was at school. Um it's called Best in Show and it's a mockumentary about a dog show um directed by Christopher Guest and it's got some um you know some familiar faces in it. It's um I uh it, it was sort of the turning point for me where I started to enjoy kind of not the usual, um, kind of conventional comedy movie. It was something a little bit different. It was a mockumentary. The humor was different. Um, uh, and it, it took me down a whole new track when it came to my cinema experience.
0: I know you've had, by the sounds of it, limited travel experience, but once we're able to travel again, is there a destination that you've got in mind that you'd really, you've heard about, you've, you've read about you've seen that you'd really like to go and check it out
1: um look i mean i've done a, I've done a bit of traveling like i have I did end up going to Japan after all and um you know i've been I've traveled across europe as well um some somewhere where I haven't been which, which I would love to which is probably um, very low on the possible um, list to go at the moment is Brazil and south America um uh, it's a continent I've never stepped foot on it fascinates me immensely and I'd love to go traveling there
0: Sure that's great. Many people would look at your journey and in amongst the challenge and in amongst the adventure they would say success. They would look at your journey and say, you know, you, you did you were recognized, you were given the stage, you had opportunities to to speak your perspective and your story. But you've also had some knockbacks along the way. I wonder if you can Speak just for a moment or two about resilience and maybe failure or being knocked backwards, and what do you do to get yourself back up again?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, look, I mean, I, I can think of, of two very different things. Um, I remember once, probably one of what was possibly, I mean, in considering it, probably one of the toughest things that ever happened to me at school. But I felt like I, you know, handled it as best as I could was. Um, you know, I, I hadn't come out to many people when I was in year 10 um, and I was mostly friends with some of the girls. Um, but I actually remember um, uh, someone pulling me aside and telling me that someone had written on the back of a toilet door at school that Jason Ball was a faggot. And I, uh, you know, it it was kind of this... It was terrifying because I didn't know that people knew that I was gay and I didn't know what I'd done to someone to make them, you know, want to write that. Um, And I remember excusing myself from class, just saying, you know, can I go to the bathroom? And I went in there and, you know, I got a big Sharpie and I just crossed out my name. um, So it wasn't legible. And... You know, I knew that I couldn't cry. Um, I had to keep it together. I had to go back to class, you know, and I didn't I couldn't tell anyone like I didn't I didn't feel like I could tell anyone. And so it was just something that I had to swallow at the time and and put on a brave face and and get back out there. And and I wasn't going to let it get me down. You know, I wasn't going to let it bother me. And I was actually going to whoever this person was who had written that I was going to show them that it didn't affect me um i was going to show them that they can say whatever they want about me and it doesn't matter um because i know who i am i'm proud of who i am and um you know i think that was um you know it was, it was drilled in my head as 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 a memory from high school um and you know it uh i and it was it, it's it's something that i, I can really remember um, as as a i guess a low point but also a learning moment and and um you know i've reflected since school on how I respond to it. And, you know, I think it it speaks to the kind of resilience that that gay kids often do build up because they have to. It's how they have to survive. Um, um, and then, I, you know, I think as an adult in terms of, you know, being knocked back or failure, um, I mean, I wouldn't consider... The fact that I, you know, run for election as an outsider for a minor party and and came really close as failure, you know, fa- um, success is in the eye of the beholder, and the fact that, um, running for a major, a minor party and giving the major parties a real shake up and a real run for their money, um, when we were, you know, outspent five to one in terms of our campaign, um you know, I, I reflect on that as being a great success. And I knew that even if we were going into this, even if we didn't win, there was an opportunity to make a difference. There was an opportunity to connect with voters, to get them to really think hard about what their values are and who they're casting their vote for and, you know, what kind of world we want to create and what kind of Australia we want to live in. And, um, and so... You know, I think you could look at um, two-time failed political candidate, Jason Ball, or you could look at, you know, someone who gave it a go twice and made a difference. And I'm definitely, I've, I feel the latter about it. And and I guess that's a choice to feel that way. You get to decide how you're going to approach and reflect on the, the things that don't always go the way you want them to. And and I think rather than dwelling on it or thinking of it as a failure, um, you focus on the positives. Um, you focus on what you learned, you focus on how you grew. Um, and that's, that's the best way to go about it.
0: And in that sense, very much a success. Because you choose to view it in a way that it, you know, there are many people who have never put themselves in that situation to, you know, to, to, to fight that fight and to contemplate the enormity of the task. And So in that sense I, I think it's brilliant. Um, as my final question and it's becoming a question that, that I ask most of my guests and, and that is, what is the question that you really wished I had asked? And once you answer that question, could you please answer that question? Um,
1: that I wish you had asked during this interview, (laughs) um, you've done a great job. I wouldn't change anything that you've, that you've asked. I mean, I, um, I came into this interview, not really sure, being sure what to expect. Um, but I've, I've really enjoyed the reflection. Um, and, um, um, yeah, I think the, the, the one question, um, that I wish you'd asked or that I'd like to answer, um, Is what would you say to yourself um, if you were, um, if you'd met your 12 year old self who was on their first day of school um, um, stepping in? And I think I would say to me um, or them or any other 12 year old um, to um, not be afraid to be who you are. Um, You know, you might be surprised how accepting people can be if you give them the chance um you you'll be surprised um that it could even be your being true to who you are that actually transforms the attitudes of the people around you um that was what i found and and i think back to those years when i was wishing that i wasn't gay and I'd tell myself that even if I had the choice now, I wouldn't change who I am. Um, you know, being gay doesn't define me, but it is part of who I am. It makes me who I am. And I would tell myself that I'm proud, um, to be who I am.
0: Jason, I'm delighted that you've enjoyed the process of reflecting. And I'm really pleased that you've found some comfort or confidence in sharing some of those reflections here with me today. So for that I'm very grateful. Thank you for both being inspired by Yara, but also being an inspiration to Yara. For your voice, for the story that you tell and for the example that you set for many, many others. Whatever their circumstance, whatever the challenge that they might be facing, whatever the circumstance that they are in. I think your story is one, as I mentioned before, of courage and of being willing to do the hard work, the deep inner work to establish who you are and then to find a sense of pride in that, to stand firm on that discovery and for that I'm grateful that you've taken us on that journey with you today. So, Jason Ball from the class of 2006. Thank you so much for your time, for your generosity, for your storytelling and for your reflections. Thank you.
1: My pleasure, thank you.
0: And that all but wraps up another episode of Inspired by Yarra. And I hope you found that conversation interesting. Perhaps at times challenging, maybe a little confronting. Maybe there were times when you experienced some discomfort in as you reflected on your own experience, your own ideas, beliefs, values and the your own experience of school life and whether or not perhaps you knew people who may have been experiencing some of the challenge and difficulty that Jason faced. I hope that You might even share this episode with somebody who you think would benefit. Somebody who you think would appreciate hearing the journey of somebody who has done the work to discover, to establish, and then to be proud of who he has become and is becoming. I like the notion of continuing to be on a journey, a learning journey, as we discover new truths and new understandings. I hope that you'll join us again next episode where we will sit down with another YOG, a Yarra Old Grammarian and as we have today gone in a variety of different possible directions as we unpack their experiences of school life and then life beyond. My name's Paul Joy and on behalf of everybody here at Yarra and those who work hard to get these episodes out to you, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where You get on out there and you make a positive impact with intentionality in the world around you.